from the Peterson family, this uh, first Advent candle. Into the void of silence a promise is proclaimed. The promise delivered was coming to walk amongst his creation once again. God was sending his son into humanity to reclaim what was lost in the Garden of Eden. The hope of heaven was coming down just as God had promised to the prophet Jeremiah. Hear God's promise of hope from Jeremiah 33:14 through 16. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. Today we light this candle in hope celebrating the hopeful anticipation of Emmanuel, God with us. Let us pray. Father God, out of death you bring life. Renew us in hope that we may be alert to the signs of Christ's advent among us. God of promise, God of hope, into our darkness come. Amen. Manuel. Thank you for the incredible truth that you as God became one of us. And I just pray today, Lord, as we look at your word and look what you've accomplished in and through this Emmanuel, that you would speak through the word of God, that it would change our lives because it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we know that it will continue to accomplish what you set it out to accomplish. We just pray, Lord, this morning for that. Father, we want to pray for, for Jesse and Callie, Lord, for Callie's father who suffered a heart attack, is in ICU this morning. We just pray that you would reach down and touch him and heal him. Father, we've prayed for him to, to, to be totally assured of his salvation and, God, that you would, God, speak to his heart right now. And, Father, that you would raise him up in health as we join together in prayer. And be with Jesse and Callie, Lord, as they're with him in Wausau, and just pray that your peace and your comfort would rule and reign in their hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Don't worry, we are going to take an offering at the end. So just, just some of you are going, oh no, we did something. Okay. There was a young naval officer, Captain Jones, who had received a promotion to Rear Admiral. And as Rear Admiral, Jones was assigned as the fleet commander aboard an aircraft carrier. He was proud of his achievement and feeling pretty good about himself. On his maiden voyage, the fleet set sail at about sunset. Rear Admiral Jones stood on the bridge feeling good about the power and prestige of being a fleet commander. They were underway only a short time when dead ahead in the darkness they spotted a light. Rear Admiral Jones instructed his signal officer, he said, send a message to them and tell them to turn 10 degrees south. The signal operator using Morse code and a signal light sent the message, turn 10 degrees south. The answer came back almost immediately. You turned 10 degrees north. 
The admiral was taken aback, so he said, repeat the message, tell them to turn 10 degrees south. They received the same message as before, turn 10 degrees north. The admiral said, tell him this is Rear Admiral Jones. The reply was, this is Abel Seaman Smith. By this time, Rear Admiral Jones was furious. He said, tell them this is an aircraft carrier. The reply came back, this is a lighthouse. <laughs> Something immovable about light, not wavering, light in darkness. Something very uncompromising about light. Christmas is all about lights. As we enter the Christmas season, we see lights all around us, Christmas tree lights. We see houses decked out with lights, lights on broadcast towers, on water towers. We see lights on downtown office buildings. And I love lights because they add color, charm, and atmosphere to a season where the sun sets too early and rises too late. The lights of Christmas make a statement of celebration, a celebration of the coming of the light. All throughout history, light has been set against darkness. It's been good versus evil. Light versus darkness is found all throughout our culture today. In fact, there's a video clip that shows that. In the midst of hopelessness, hope dawns eternal. Light always pierces the void. Evil will be overcome by good. Death will be swallowed up by life. Sin will lose its sting. Endings will give way to new beginnings. War will surrender to peace. Love will triumph over hate. And though the darkness may come, the sun also rises. Light versus darkness. Christmas is really a love story in a world at war. We see this everywhere. We're going to talk about light today. We're going to talk about the picture of the problem, which is darkness. We're going to talk of the, about the person of the promise, which is Jesus the light, and the power of light to overcome darkness. Today, the light gift, and I, I would like you to turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah, the ninth chapter. It's on page 559 in the, uh, in the Bible in the rack in front of you, page 559. It'll also be on the PowerPoint Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to read the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 9 as we look at the light gift. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establish and, and, and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We start with a picture of the problem, which is something called darkness. Darkness. The book of Isaiah, where we're in right now, is a book of prophecy telling of future times. He talks about a people in darkness, of a people in darkness, walking in darkness, so those who live in a, a dark land. Now those of us who live in Eau Claire, who have lived in the city most of our lives, very rarely ever experience total darkness. There are only a handful of times that I ever experienced total darkness that I would say it was absolutely black. One of those times was when I was uh, in college during my summer job, I was working in upstate New York at a camp. It was in upstate New York at the foothill of the Catskill Mountains. And one, here in this location, once the sun went down, it was absolutely, totally pitch black. There were no lights anywhere close to this camp. And we didn't have yard lights and we didn't have street lights in this camp. The power was restricted to the cabins in two main buildings. One night I remember, it was late at night, the sun had gone, long since gone down, and I'd forgotten my flashlight in my cabin. And I had to find my way through absolute pitch black on a winding gravel path back to my cabin. And I remember literally, it was so dark, I saw nothing. I ran into trees as I was trying to find my way. I couldn't see. Now, that is blackness. Some of you, how many of you have experienced that kind of blackness ever? Okay, a few of you. Okay. Isaiah, in this book, is writing about people in total darkness. They can't see, they're lost, they're bumping into things, there's no sense of direction. They're frightened and confused. And as you know, everything is more magnified and more frightening in the dark. But this was not a literal physical darkness, but a spiritual darkness. And this kind of spiritual darkness that Isaiah is writing about comes in many forms. The first one is the darkness of evil. The darkness of evil. Where evil is pervasive, we find an awful, awful darkness. How many of you have seen It's a Wonderful Life? The movie? It's a Wonderful Life. If you haven't, we like to watch it at least once a year if we can. James Stewart, it's an old movie. Great lesson. James Stewart is playing the main character, and he wished at some point in his life he was having so many challenges, he wished he'd never been born. I know none of you have ever wished that you've never been born, but he wished he had never been born. And as can happen only in the movies, he is transported through time into Bedford Falls, showing what the town would have been like had he never been born, never having had the chance to make a positive difference with his light, his life. And the contrast was remarkable. The evil, the lawlessness, the darkness that pervaded that town of Bedford Falls. See, his light, his life, brought light into Bedford Falls and had dispelled that darkness of evil. Well, the darkness of evil is pervasive in our world. You go a lot of places and we see the evil, we sense the evil. Whether it's immorality or pornography, child abuse, Terrorism, greed, the exploitation of women, children, young boys, girls, in sex trafficking. It's a dark, dark world out there, and we desperately need light because of the evil. Then there's the darkness of fear. The darkness of fear. Now, some people don't care, or they don't believe that 
God is a benevolent God who cares about us and watches out for us, and, and they feel like they're on their own, so they live in this pervasive fear that somehow it's all up to them. And we as people just experience fears of all kinds, you know, and you can look at all kinds of fears from, uh, from arachnophobia, which is fear of spiders, to claustrophobia, fear of small spaces, or, you know, there are all kinds of those kinds of fears that people have. Some people fear flying because they're afraid of a terrorist bombing. Or people are afraid to travel because there are accidents that are caused by weather or drunk drivers. People are afraid to have children or rear children because they fear for their safety or fear for their grandchildren. They're afraid to invest money, afraid we might lose them. The phone rings and you jump because you fear it's going to bring bad news. And the media feeds our fears because 95% plus of all news on the media is bad news. So it's all bad. And there's fear. So we live in fear. There's a darkness of fear in our world. Then there's the darkness of ignorance. Ignorance. One of the great travesties of our time is the AIDS epidemic or the Ebola virus in Africa. Entire villages or families wiped out by disease or thousands of orphaned children and nobody would tell them why. Ignorance holding them captive or misinformation from life-saving measures and ignorance actually killed them. Now we have, in our world today, a spiritual disease. It's not Ebola and AIDS, it's a spiritual disease that is spread through ignorance and it's something called sin. Sin. And even though the effects are devastating and destroying families, leaving broken lives in its wake, no one is willing to tell the truth about the disease of sin. Many here have been victims of the ignorance of sin. Then there's something we don't think about very often. It's called the, the darkness of dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. Ben Wattenberger produced a documentary entitled The First Measured Century. And he said over the past 100 years, Americans became the most ambitious measurers of human activity. And he says, America has been an enormously successful country in the 20th century. He's talking about the last 100 years. Not only do Americans live longer, but infant mortality, which once claimed more than one child in 10, has been dramatically reduced. Flush toilets, refrigerators, central heating and electricity, non-existent or rare at the turn of the last century, are not commonplace. And then just Americans just plain make more money. But among all this good news... Some numbers stick out. The suicide rate, rather than dropping, has gone up. There are almost five times as many homicides today as there were a century ago. Most people, if asked, believe that social and moral values are worse now than when they were growing up, that the average American is less trustworthy, and that the breakdown of community and community resources is a serious, serious problem. Now, from an absolute perspective, people are better off now than they've ever been but they don't believe that life is getting better all the time. Social scientists and psychologists are trying to find out why progress, whether measured with income or health or proliferation of stuff, doesn't always increase people's satisfaction with life. We measure what we need by what those around us have. Ah, clearly some things are worse than they were. Social and personal interactions is part of the package, but most people today have led a material richer existence than their parents, but they're less happy. Why? It's dissatisfaction. There's, a, there's this pervasive dissatisfaction. 
And it, it's at the root of a sin we call coveting. I compare what other people have, I compete and I covet. And dissatisfaction permeates our culture and is fed by advertising in the media and we're just all dissatisfied and it's a darkness that pervades our culture. Then there are obvious darknesses like addiction. When the Bible says he who commits sin is a slave to sin, whether it's alcohol, drugs, tobacco, pornography, there's a loss of personal control in affections and addictions and habits and people are enslaved in the darkness of addictions. Then there's the darkness of violence which we see around us all the time. Headlines and news, whether it's wars, violence, shootings, ethnic cleansing, assaults, murders, rapes, violence, which is an incredible darkness. Well, all the results of darkness we experience today, even during the Christmas season, this season of lights, the season of love and cheer, people in the past have experienced those same darknesses. And what Isaiah says, and what God says to us today, into this darkness, there's a promise of a light. There's a gift of light. A love story in a world at war. It's amazing what light can do. When you go into a room, you never turn on the dark switch. You turn on the light switch. Well, let's look at who is this person of promise? Who is the light gift, this person we read about? In verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given. A child is born to us. And this is an incredible mystery. We call it the incarnation. And those of us that were raised in the church or in some form of Christianity, we just take this for granted because we've celebrated Christmas, this coming God becoming one of us. It's just something we take for granted. God came in human form. In John 1, 1 through 5 and 14, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things are, were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The Word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The message says God moved into the neighborhood. I love that picture where God said, I'm gonna move into your neighborhood. It's kind of hard for us to understand this sometimes, but there's an interesting song that came out a few years ago. It was a pop song by Joan Osborne called One of Us. Now I want to just quote some things from it because it made people think. And this was a secular pop song on pop stations that made people stop their cars and pull over and think. If God had a name, what would it be? And if you would call it to his face, if you were faced with him in all his glory, what would you ask if you had just one question? What if God was one of us? just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. If God had a face, what would it look like? And would you want to see if seeing meant that you would have to believe in things like heaven and in Jesus and the saints and all the prophets? What if God were one of us? What if God were one of us? We heard stories of people pulling over in their cars and weeping and having to stop driving because they heard this song on the radio and they said, I've never heard such a thing. 
What if God were one of us? He was one of us. The Word became flesh, Jesus, and we saw his glory, the light shining in the darkness. Christmas is about this light, this child being born. God the light entering the human race so we could just get a glimpse of what God is like. So we could begin to know who God is. This child was born to us. Secondly, this, it was a son given to us, a child born and a child given. The word given is, is a foreshadowing of the gift, the light gift. Whenever we give a gift, it requires a cost, some kind of cost. And the, the, the person who pays the cost is the giver, not the recipient. When you receive it, it's, it's free. The giver is the one that pays the price or pays the cost so we can receive the gift. Somebody has to pay for the gift. God gave us this gift, but it came at great cost or sacrifice. We know it in John 3.16, which states, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That giving was a gift in total. Jesus gave his life. It was a son given for us. Jesus gave his life for us. Christmas is about a child born, but it's also about the son who gave his life. And both phrases end with two words, to us, to us. We, we tend to think in global or abstract terms that Jesus came for the whole world. He came for the whole world. Yes, he did. But he also came for you. He also came for you. The light gift is, is for everyone, but is also offered to individuals. And it's meant to be received personally. We talk about my God, my Savior. And when we think about describing that relationship, it's, it's a relationship not in ownership or the sense of control, but in relationship. In other words, I say, introduce, this is my dad or my mom, this is my wife or my husband, my daughter, my son, my uncle, my aunt. And so when we talk about my God, it's my God, my Savior. Jesus is my God, not in the fact of ownership or control, but in relationship. The child is born for you. The son is given for you. Personal relationship, personal salvation, a personal savior. This gift is offered to everyone, yet it's for me too. Child born, a son given. Then we get to the next phrase, which is the child rules. The child rules. It says the government will be on his shoulders. What does that mean? What does that prediction entail? When Jesus came the first time, he actually set up his kingdom, his kingship, and his rule on earth. When he was here, he was working miracles and he was casting out demons. And the religious leaders of the day accused him of using demonic powers to perform miracles, to cast out demons, to exercise his power. And Jesus addresses something, and this is a key ingredient of understanding who Jesus is. In Matthew 12, 25, says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, 
Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. And here's the, here's the conclusion. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, which he says, which he does, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. First, this passage speaks about a cosmic battle that we're talking about between good and evil, between light and darkness, between God and Satan. And Jesus made it exceedingly clear that Satan was a real being and that he exercised influence on the earth. And this is war. Make no mistake about it. What he's describing is war. And this is a love story in a world at war. With Jesus coming, the kingdom of God had now broken into the kingdom of Satan and was now at war with the demons of darkness, with Satan himself. Spiritual warfare is a whole series in itself. We'll, we'll get to that maybe in this next year. But the kingdom or rule that Jesus has brought was in the spiritual realm, not in the political or human governmental realm. In other words, the locus of his rule was in the minds and hearts of human beings. His kingdom is in our lives. Now, the results of that transformation and that kingdom where God rules works its way out in the human, earthly, governmental realm. That's why we need to be engaged in our world. It's not just about sharing our faith and making a difference in our community. We're, we're talking about exercising our moral influence in PTA and, and school boards and, and being involved in, in governmental affairs and, and being involved in elections and those kinds of things because that's where we take the rule of God and we work it out into that kingdom where the values that, that we have in the rule of God work its way out in that. How else are we to influence our world? But the starting point is not politics. The starting point is, not, the starting point is the human heart, the spiritual. But it must move beyond the spiritual to make a practical moral difference in our culture. This prophecy says the government will be, or it will rest upon, it will be on his shoulders. In other words, the government will be supported, placed upon, or be founded upon Jesus. In other words, it's placed or imposed as a burden of responsibility on his shoulders, not mine. His shoulders, not yours. He's sovereign and he's in charge, not some Supreme Court or Congress or president or governmental official. God rules. And I take tremendous comfort in the fact that God is sovereign. You know, we have more terror every week. Last week's it was, it was Paris and San Bernardino. We, I mean, it looks like everything's out of control. And, and when you look at that, the, our tendency is to say darkness is overcome. No, it's not. God is in charge. God is moving. God is doing incredible things all around the world. He's doing incredible things in Eau Claire. And we... Say, God, when we see all these things, the Bible says, lift up your eyes for your redemption draweth near. We know that God is sovereign. It doesn't call us to passivity and say, well, whatever happens is going to happen. No, he calls for a church that's engaged in the spiritual battle, in the physical battle, in any way we can be engaged to carry out his rule and his kingdom in this world. God, Jesus, is in control. 
He said, the child is born to us. The son is given to us. The child rules, so he is sovereign. Then it says, the child's character or names, letter D, and he will be called, his name will be called, which means his essential characteristics will be, or this is what he will do. Names or characteristics of this child, Jesus, are inseparable from who he is. So what are, what are his names? Who is this Jesus and what will he do? Five words or five expressions that we read. First one is wonderful. Wonderful, which means evokes wonder or, or supernatural phenomenon. This one word, wonderful, really is a word that expresses unbelievable, immeasurable, the immeasurable nature of everything God is. It evokes awe. You know, I am constantly amazed and awestruck at every new discovery about planet Earth, our privileged planet. And you, you go through that, every once in a while they discover a new species of something in Brazil. Or they find at the bottom of the sea, um, you know, species that are existing in these super hot tubes and anything could, you know. They, we don't know zip about the world. And that's just, this, that's just the Earth. And we, we've gone how far out in space and how far down in the Earth. We're very limited in our knowledge. God did all that. Wow. Awe, be in awe. I don't know if, if you know about, the, about uh, the Discovery Institute. The Discovery Institute is, is based in Seattle, and they, do, they, they believe in intelligent design, and they do all kinds of studies and videos and produce all kinds of them amazing material about the origins and structure of our universe. And I would challenge you, if you have 30 to 40 hours in one time, to just go on their website, discovery.org, discovery.org, and just see some of the things that they have discovered. It's absolutely incredible. And you know what it does? It makes me stand in awe of God. Wonderful, incredible who God is. We are in awe. The second word is counselor. This has to do with wisdom or discernment. And I just read in Proverbs this week, in Proverbs 3.19, it says, by, the wisdom, by wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundation. By understanding he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge the deeps were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. Wisdom. In our world in crisis, nobody seems to have the wisdom to handle a problem. All the king's horses, all the king's men cannot put this world back together again. And when we talk about wisdom, there's macro wisdom, which dealing with world issues, which God has, there's also micro-wisdom, personal issues, personal challenges. Jesus, the Son of God, has the wisdom, not just for global problems and national crises, but also for the personal challenge and the most personal things that you deal with every day. That's why Jesus came, to bring that kind of wisdom, to make it available for you. You know, God set up this world, and, and just since he created it, he kind of knows what's best and how it works best. I know that when, um, when I get a chance, we'll, we'll go through the um, study of the Ten Commandments, God's top ten, and talking about how God designed it. Father knows best. He designed certain things, and he, dis, dis, he created the relationship with God in a certain way in a relationship with human beings. He knows how that works best. He designed marriage, one man, one woman for life. He knows best. He designed it. That's how he designed it. So when, no matter what it is, the guidelines are in the Bible, the inerrant word of God. It's his wisdom 
He knows how it's supposed to operate, how life works. And that includes wisdom for our personal lives as well. Personal life, your personal life, whether it's a marriage issue, a relationship struggle, depression, school issues, problems with friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, problems with parents, budget, money, health, whatever it is. Jesus brings supernatural wisdom for natural problems. Light for the darkest times. And I don't know where you are. If you're in a dark place today, but he's got the light for you. Number three, mighty God. It gets better and better. This, this name attributes deity or divinity to this child that's born. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. And mighty God denotes a mighty hero or a God warrior. It's a God who fights for us. Sometimes we feel like we ha- we're all alone. We have to fight this battle all alone. We don't have to fight it. He said, stand still and see the deliverance of God. Stand and watch what God can do. What is your battle today? You feel like you're in a fight? Let God fight it. That's his job. Then there's eternal father, number four. Here's a child, yet a father. Eternal means one who inhabits eternity. There's no beginning, no, be, no end. It always has been. The word father is a leader, provider, giver of love, and nurturer, gives guidance and discipline. And some of you here this morning have a positive image of father, and some may not, depending on your earthly experience. But God, our eternal father, is a God of perfect love and provision. And Prince of Peace, number five, Jesus is our peace, and do we ever need peace today? In the kingdom of God, this peace supersedes and transcends circumstances and present dimensions. And peace in in, in the Hebrew, we tend to think of peace as absence of conflict. I'm at peace because I'm not in conflict with anyone. But the word peace in Hebrew denotes far more than that. It it denotes a wholeness. It's like you're in the center and you you are in wholeness and right relationship with circumstances and people in your whole life. Peace in that way means a wholeness that includes all parts of your life. That's the kind of peace God, he doesn't just kind of want to deliver us from conflict, he wants us to have that prosperity and health and wholeness with every part of our life. So when he says he's the prince of peace, it's that kind of peace, it's multi-dimensional peace. At ease with people and circumstances, this child born to us, the son given to us, gives us that peace. That's light. And verse 7 says, this kingdom grows. There will be no end to the increase of his government and peace. What does that mean? It means that light keeps on getting rid of darkness, keeps on getting rid of darkness, keeps on getting rid of It's going to grow and grow and grow. Christianity started with basically one man who just happened to be God with 12 followers and then 120. And it has multiplied and continues to multiply without violence, without intimidation, just with love, light and love. That's how Christianity has spread. And it has taken over a huge swaths of the world and continues to. There is revival happening all over the world. God is doing incredible things. Sometimes we just need to hear about it. We don't get to hear about some of the incredible things. And I believe America is ripe for a revival. We're ready because we desperately need that light and that new life. Let's look briefly at some very practical ways that light replaces darkness. Is the power of light. 
Number three, what does light accomplish? Letter A, light, the light of goodness displaces the darkness of evil. Romans 12, 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Secondly, light, the light of faith dispels the darkness of fear. Luke eight fifty says, don't be afraid, just believe. And believe is not in the abstract sense of I just believe and hope for the best. That's blind ignorance. Belief or faith must have an object of trust. We've talked about this. The object of trust is Jesus. We direct faith at a person as Jesus. Letter C, the light of truth replaces a darkness of ignorance. John 8, 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. D, the light of joy removes the darkness of dissatisfaction. Contentment, There's, there are no needs living in contentment. Letter E, the light of bondage supplants the darkness of bondage. The light of freedom supplants the darkness of bondage, excuse me. Whether it's addictions or loss of control, people are set free. And letter F, the light of peace displaces the darkness of violence. It's the end of violence. Now this prophecy in the book of Isaiah will only be fulfilled in its entirety in the last day. But in the meantime, we can experience much of this fulfillment as we embrace the light in our own personal lives, in the life of our environment, and allow the light of Jesus, the light gift, to dispel the darkness. The problem is darkness. The promise is the person of Jesus. The power is that light removes darkness. And I have a challenge for you. I have a challenge for you. It's found in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way... Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The light gift is ours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us this, this incredible prophecy that you fulfilled when you came and that we can see this light that just chases away the darkness. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would accomplish that in our lives today. Father, that we'd see that happen. That we would be the light. Father, we can't be it on our own. The Holy Spirit of God must indwell us and flow through us. But with Jesus in our life, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we are that light. I pray that we will embrace it and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we? Uh, another carol, right? As we close. Angels, we have... Yeah, they already took the offering. You know, these guys are really on it. So, anyway, let's, let's, uh, let's sing together. Angels, is it, what is it? Angels, we have heard on Sunday morning, kids are going to be doing both services with the kids' musical, so you don't want to miss that. It's going to be great. P please pray uh, for Jesse and Kelly, and we'll find out more about uh, her dad. But uh, we're believing that God's going to raise him up and, and heal heal him physically. So let's, let's be dismissed. May the love of God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with everyone in Christ Jesus. Amen.